0: Galatians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves tonight. Uh, we're getting into uh, probably one of the passages of Scripture that I uh, most refer people to in life. Uh, Galatians five twenty two and 23, we won't get into tonight, uh, but those are some verses that I tell people. Uh, circle these, star these, underline them, commit them to memory. Live your life against this list of the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we'll know if we're walking in the Spirit or not. But before we get to that, we take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19, is where we'll be at tonight, the works of the flesh. If you remember up to this point, we have be taking a look at, especially in chapter 5, how keeping rules and regulations will not save you, that it's only the grace of God, it's only faith in Christ alone that can save us from our sins. And so Paul gives us a list of things that help us to identify what it looks like to walk in the flesh. What happens when the works of the flesh are seen? What does that look like for us? I appreciate lists in the Bible because they kind of give us a, an idea how we can visualize what this looks like. And I don't think it takes much of a stretch of the imagination to imagine what walking in the flesh looks like uh, because we're pretty consistent at that, I believe, sometimes. Uh, but he gives us a list, not an exhaustive list, but a list to go through. And then he gives us some challenges that go along with that. So uh, just taking a look at three verses here tonight starting in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 21 is a pretty harsh uh, statement that he makes there that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We'll unpack that in just a little bit. Uh, But it's important that we take a look at this list, and whether Paul uh, intended to or not intended to uh, doesn't really matter. But he groups these sins into really four major categories that we see uh, here as he lists them off. Again, he finishes with, and such the like, which means that this is not an exhaustive list, uh, simply just a list that Paul uh, gives first and foremost. As we take a look at this list and walk through the, the works of the flesh first, we see uh, the first category that he puts sin in is sexual sins. He names off for adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. These are unique in the fact that they are all sexual in nature. If we take a look at the mess that our society is in today, we would say that the majority of the mess that our society in deals with human sexuality and inappropriate sexual relationships. And we look at this and go, wow, this is so unique to our day, but it's not really unique to us at all. If you study uh, Roman times and Roman practices and Roman debauchery, you'll find that this goes back to uh, really uh, the times of Christ. Uh, biblical times we see of this type of sexual immorality as well. We just see a resurgence of it, I think, in the day in which we live. I think that we're beginning now to see the fruits of the free sex movement that we saw in the late 60s and uh, what my parents were a part of in their their generation of uh, kind of throwing off the uh, restraints of sexuality and embracing sexuality as a, an expression or an outward expression of who they were. And uh, we see that now uh, coming to root in... in uh, Our society today where sexual identity seems to identify who you are as a person and people have built their entire life around how they express themselves sexually and that comes with its own set of problems for sure as Paul walks down this list of sexual sins. The first one is uh, adultery. This is any type of sexual activity that violates the commitment of marriage. Paul uh, says that adultery is a big deal because it's a big deal to God. Jesus himself talks of adultery and says if any man puts away uh, his spouse for any reason other than fornication, he commits adultery. And if he remarries, he's going to commit adultery as well. And that's a big deal to God because the marriage covenant is a picture of how Jesus loves his church. And when we begin to mess around with that, we mess around with the picture that God has given us of his goodness Next is fornication, which you can kind of think of as the big umbrella for any type of sexual sin. Uh, In Paul's writing, he generally uses this word fornication for uh, any type of generalized sexual sin. Uh, The Greek word that's used here is the word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography from. Uh, Types of sexual sin that really kind of uh, runs the gamut of any type of sexual sin that there might be. The next would be uncleanness. This means sexually impure. The word that Paul uses here is the type of word that was used for some type of scum or some type of filth. Uh, the type of, It was the word that would have been used for an oozing wound that had gotten infected. And this word uncleanness means any type of sexual impurity. Now, when we talk of adultery or fornication, those might be acts we commit, but uncleanness is a mindset we have. It's thoughts that we think. It's the uh, way that we view life and the way, the lens in which we uh, interpret things that take place. Lasciviousness is not a word that we use today. Another word that would be similar to that would be the word sensuality. This would be overt, offensive sexual desire, uninhibited sexual indulgence would be the term that we would see here in the Bible for lasciviousness. I don't think it's any coincidence because I don't think anything in the Bible is a coincidence that when we begin to walk in the flesh, one of the places that our heart begins to go is towards sexual immorality. Sometimes people would say that that's the easiest flesh button to push. It's the easiest to get the quickest gratification from. I don't believe it's any coincidence that in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that when we make ourselves wiser than God, the path that it leads us down is sexual immorality, fornication, and eventually homosexuality and inappropriate sexual relationships. No, no uh, coincidence there. That's where the human heart goes. This is where it's the most depraved. Sexual sin, uh, we would say that all sin is equal in our judicial standing before God. Whether someone tells a lie or whether someone commits murder, they, they've sinned against God in the same judicial standing. The Bible says in the book of James, any man offending in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. That makes us guilty in our judicial standing before God. But sexual sin is in its own category as, as far as destructive nature is concerned. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says to them, hey, any sin you commit, you commit outside of the body against another person. But any man that commits fornication, it's a sin against his own body that is in its own classification of destructive nature. He moves on to sins that would come from a man-made religion Take a look in uh, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry would be uh, definitely the making of any type of graven image that we would set up that we would worship in place of God. But idolatry also extends to the idolatry of the heart where we take God off of his throne of our heart and place some other object in our life as more important than God. I've seen people take dating relationships and make an idol out of them and that became the thing that they worshiped. It was more important to them than their relationship with God. I've seen people seek status uh, and put that status as the thing that their heart desired after and the things that that their heart worshiped. I've seen people take uh, a job or their education or the type of car that they drove and it becomes an idol in their life and it becomes uh, something that their heart craves after, something that they desire and worship. Unless we think that idolatry happens only with bad things, I've seen people take things like their children and make an idol out of that. Where Their children are more important uh, than their relationship with God. Their children are more important than a right standing before God. I've seen people make an idol of their marriage and where their marriage becomes more important than a relationship with God. And the problem with idolatry is your idol will always fail you, always. And when that happens, when you become all about your marriage and your marriage begins to show cracks and signs of where, where does your heart go? When your heart desires after status and you lose your status, where does your heart go? And so idolatry is so problematic. The next type would be, the next sin of a man-made religion would be witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now, lest you think, well, I don't uh, have any pentagrams in my house, I don't use a Ouija board or anything like that, and I'm definitely clear of this one right here. Witchcraft is seeking spirituality any place other than from God. This might be some type of new age meditation that you do or some type of uh, Eastern spirituality that you have or whether it be some type of uh, pendant that you have that you believe has some type of uh, healing power. I met a guy that I'd known 15, 20 years ago at the Shurikia uh, several years ago, and he had a booth set up there. We're selling these bracelets that you put your different stones together and to make a bracelet out of it. And I thought, well, that's kind of cute. I know this guy. I want to help him out. He's making bracelets and stuff like that. And so I thought I went over there and I said, well, here's my kid's birthday. Figure out what the stones are. And I'll make one for my wife, and I'll give it to her just to kind of help this guy out. And he goes, oh, no, no, these aren't those type of bracelets. These, These are special crystals that have healing energy in them. If you have anger in your heart, this crystal right here will help you to relieve that anger in your heart. And I was just like, oh, no, this is not good. And so he's like, "He's like, here's a little checklist. You can check, check off all the emotions that you have, and I'll make you a bracelet that'll help you heal that. I like, I think I'm good. You know, if you had one for like uh, <laughs> June birthdays, I'd buy one of those, but the whole like, just not my thing. Why? That's seeking spirituality outside of my relationship with God. And that could be a form of witchcraft. And so we need to be careful with things like that. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, that um, there's nothing wrong with going to a group stretch class. You know, if we're going to go and we're I'm going to do the downward dog or I'm going to do an upward dog or I'm going to do, uh, you know, sun salutes or whatever they call them. I don't know what they're called. Uh, I'm very inflexible. That's fine. Not a big deal. But if I go to center my being with the universe and I'm going to Turn 12 degrees to the east because that's where the power or the mana comes from. We begin to, we need to take, take a step back from that. Hey, I got no problem stretching out tight hamstrings. I do have a problem. We seek spirituality outside of God. That's a problem. That could be a form of witchcraft. But here's something that totally blew my mind. As I'm studying through this list of the works of the flesh, you look at them and on the, the surface you say, I kind of understand what all these are. The, uh, the Greek word that Paul used here for the word witchcraft is the word pharmakeia which if you look that up, it's where we get our word pharmacy from. And so I thought to myself, what's the correlation between pharmacy and witchcraft? And i began to dig a little bit deeper and do a little bit more study and come to find out. Uh, back in Paul's day, one of the Roman practices that they would do is if they sought out these occultic gods as they would actually take drugs or mind-altering substances to connect with another spirit realm. And so this involved taking any type of mind-altering substance whether it be drugs or alcohol or something along those lines, that they would do as part of their pagan practice to connect with another spirit realm. I thought to myself, that's so interesting because I know people that self-medicate with drugs and alcohol to get away from a current reality to seek help somewhere else, and that would technically fall in line with the spirit of the word that was used. I'm not saying people that use drugs are practicing witchcraft. I'm saying it falls in line with the spirit of the word that Paul used there. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Take it for what it's worth. Following on, next category of sins: we have sexual sins, sin from man-made religion, sin against others is the longest list that we have here. These are sins that I commit where I violate another person. First of these is hatred. Again, verse twenty: idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders. Hatred is a deep-seated ill will towards another person. This goes beyond just being mad at somebody. This goes beyond losing my cool. This is a deep-seated hatred and a desire for ill will against another person. And if you know anything about Jesus, that's the opposite of Christ. That is an anti-Christ spirit. <laughs> we don't even allow our kids to use the word hate. Uh, hey, I don't like vegetables either, but I can't say that word of what I think of broccoli, Right? I just greatly dislike it because that's a word that that is so strong. I can say this, I hate the devil, I hate sin, I hate false teachers, but I can't hate another brother, I can't hate another person, I can't hate anything else. When I say false teachers, I'm talking about the teaching of false people, not necessarily them themselves, I hope they'll get saved. But man, I hate the devil, I hate evil, I hate sin. Angela and I were talking about a a couple uh, that we knew that had fallen into sin. I I hate using that word because nobody falls into it. It's like they fell in a ditch or they stepped in a hole or accidentally stepped on something. That didn't happen. They got into sin. And I said, man, I hate sin and I hate the devil. But hatred, deep-seated ill will towards another person is definitely not of God for sure. Word variance, we don't use in our vocabulary today to mean this, but it means strife or bitter disagreement. Have you ever been around somebody before who always needs to find something to have drama about? Somebody who there's, there's no problem, they'll create a problem just to have something to, to get bent out of shape about. That's the word variance. This is someone who goes looking for strife. Next, the word emulation. Again, not a word we use in our vocabulary, but it's the word jealousy. This is greedy, prideful, jealousy. Jealousy generally happens. There's another word we have here called envying, which we might think is the same thing. They're two different things. Jealousy is when I have something, I'm afraid you're gonna do something to take it. Envying is when you have something that I want and I'm gonna do everything I can to get it. Envying is very closely related to covetousness. Jealousy is when I have something, I'm afraid you're gonna take it or I'm afraid you're going to um, do something that would cause me to lose it. The next word, Wrath, the definition that I came up against was fleeting fury. This is when my anger just comes out of nowhere and it leaves out of nowhere. I used to pride myself. That's another sin in case you didn't know. Uh, I used to pride myself in saying that it takes a lot for me to lose my cool, that I've got a really long fuse that is connected to the world's largest powder keg you've ever seen in your entire life. Then it takes a lot to make me mad, but once you make me mad, I lose my mind. And I talk to myself, that's a compliment to me because I'm so patient, so long-suffering, but the problem is when you get to the end of that fuse comes wrath, and that's a sin. Now, again, there's things we should be mad at. I'm, I'm angry that it is legal to kill babies in America. That just, oh, I have wrath and anger towards that. It's a righteous anger. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, uh, it grieves me that we live in a country where it costs $500 to take a child's life but it costs $50,000 to get a child through adoption. Where's some government subsidized adoptions? I think that's a great idea. I'd vote for a candidate who supported that. How about that? Topic for another day. Uh, But wrath, anger, anger, Generally, it's not a good thing unless it's directed towards evil or injustice. Next word that we see here, strife. This is selfish ambition without care for moral implications. I want what I want, and I don't care how I get it. That's what the word strife means. I, I want what I want, and I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what the cost is. I will get it, selfish ambition seditions it's another word for divisiveness these are people who love to split groups love to sow discord love to get pit people against each other again if there's unity they want to jump in the middle and cause disunity they want to know whose side are you on that's seditions or divisiveness heresies is also divisiveness due to false teaching If you haven't figured out this list here so far, we're not even all the way through it yet. These places have no place in Jesus' church at all, none. Next, envyings. This is spite and resentment for the success of another. I can't believe they got a new car. They probably don't even tithe. Yeah, I'd buy a new car like that if I didn't tithe too. That's envy, that's ugly. Yeah, they got promoted. I know why they got promoted because they're a brown noser. Oh man, I can't stand people like that. Always sucking up to everybody. That's how they got, that's envying. Ill will towards the success of another person. Murders, this is the unlawful taking of another person's life. (laughs) We would look at this list of the flesh and go, praise God, at least there's one that I'm not guilty of, right? Uh, Careful, hang on for just a second. Uh, Jesus said, if a man look at his brother with hatred in his heart, he's committed murder already in his own heart. If you look at your brother and say Raka or, or call him a bad name or think uh, unkindly of him or anger hatred in your heart, you've committed murder already. So again, when we take a look at this list, we're not really innocent of much at all. Next category that we have here would be pagan sins. So sexual sins, sin for man made, religion sin against others and now pagan sins. We say pagan sins because these were, especially in in biblical times, associated with those that did not know God, that worshiped false gods, but definitely did not categorize God's people. The first of these being drunkenness. This would be the misuse of alcohol to the point where one becomes drunken. And again, I think the, the question that we have to ask ourselves, at what point does one person become drunk? And I've never seen anything good or positive come from alcohol. And for that reason, I've chosen to abstain from alcohol for my whole life, and I don't feel like I've missed out on anything. And so drunkenness, definitely, I think everybody would agree with that. You can't disagree with the Bible for sure, but then the question becomes, at what point does one become drunk? Best way to know is just to stay away from all together. Next, reveling. Reveling. So reveling might just think you mean parties on the outside, but some uh, Bible translations translated the word here uh, for revelings to the word orgy. These were sexual celebrations that were always combined with excessive alcohol consumption. And so you look at that and you go, wow, I'm thinking we don't have stuff like that today. Hmm. Just about any nightclub in America is full of people that are highly intoxicated that are looking for someone to go home and have sexual relationships with that is not their spouse. Just about every nightclub or bar in America. So you say to yourself, that's not something that went away with the Roman debauchery. That's something that definitely persists in our society today. And Christians have no place and things like that. You might look at this list here and you say, I think I'm doing okay and all those things there. And Paul goes on to say, and such like, take a look at verse number 21, and murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, those three words change everything, meaning this is not an exhaustive list. We don't get to look at this list and go, I think I'm doing okay compared to that list. No, fleshly behavior comes up in a multitude of other ways as well. Paul just gives this list as an introductory list. Then he goes on to make a very, very, sobering statement. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, this is not the first time you're hearing this from me, Paul says, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, if you do these things here, now it's important to understand that when he says do these things, he doesn't mean that you've done them once. Some Bible translations have used the word instead of do these things, Practice these things. This becomes your normal, everyday routine, the way that you do things. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Keep your finger here in Galatians uh, chapter five. We're coming back in uh, just a second. We'll flip back to First Corinthians chapter six, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse number nine. First Corinthians 6, nine, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abuses themselves with mankind. Notice again, I don't think by accident. Paul leads off the list with sexual immorality sins. This is a big deal to God. The word effeminate there is speaking of homosexual relationships. So again, someone who says, "Well, the Bible really only talks about homosexuality in the book of Leviticus," you just don't know the Bible. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1, it speaks of it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as well as other passages that we find in the New Testament that speak specifically to homosexual relationships. And in the event that it did not talk about homosexual relationships, the word fornicator covers all sexual immorality, any sexual activity that takes place outside of marriage. marriage. Fornication is just an umbrella statement uh, against sexual sin of any sort. But again, it does not stop there. Verse number 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. If this is you, if this is how you practice your life, if this is the way you live, then you. the Bible says here that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some people might be looking at this, and oh, wait a minute, we were just talking about legalism and how following a list of rules won't get you to heaven, but here Paul gives you a list of sins that if you commit these, you won't go to heaven. What is that all about? Take a look at that in just a second. But before we do, we've got to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Flip over to Ephesians 5, if you would. Right after the book of Galatians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 3. But fornication, again, sexual sin, first one listed. And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Verse number three says, if you call yourself a Christian, don't ever let these things be said about you. Not even one time. Verse four, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who's an idolater, those that were idolatries in all three of those passages as well, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this is a big deal. God lists several. Uh, lists of sins, many of which overlap one another, many of which are found in both places. Then he says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So then the question is, what about this whole legalism thing? So if I, if I don't do these sins, does that mean I do get to go to heaven? We have to understand that our salvation is not based on our behavior. That has to be crystal clear. What Paul is not saying here, that is if you keep this list of rules and don't fall into these sins that you'll get to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. So our salvation is not determined by our behavior. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, but by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That you and I are not saved because we are good people. We're not saved because we keep a list of rules and regulations. We are saved, first and foremost, by faith alone. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that I have been condemned by my own sinful condition to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I put my faith and trust in him as my Lord and my Savior. That is the only way that one can be saved but it's by faith alone, but also by grace alone. If I work for my salvation, it's no longer grace, Paul says, but it's works. But if I have grace for my salvation, I couldn't possibly work for it because then it would be works. It's one or the other. Grace and works are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. So it's important to understand that Paul's not saying that we have to keep this list of rules to go to heaven or to be saved. We're saved by Jesus alone. The Bible says all of our works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. All of our righteousness, our self-righteousness is of no use to God whatsoever. Faith alone, grace alone, Jesus alone. But our behavior should be determined by our salvation. Because you're saved, you should live differently. Because you've been forgiven of all of your past sin, you shouldn't walk in the works of the flesh. Because you're saved, you shouldn't be involved in fornication, or adultery, or idolatry, or witchcraft, or drunkenness, or revelings, or murders, or envy, or strife, or jealousy. Those things shouldn't even be things that are said about Christians because we're different now. Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God saved you so that you could show his glory to people and doing the works of the flesh detract from God's glory. And let me just tell you this. If the works of the flesh categorize your life you're making it really hard on spirit-filled Christians that want to walk with Jesus. Just know that. If you're living a fake, phony Christian life where you call yourself a Christian, but you walk in the flesh, for those that are trying to do the right thing and trying to walk in the spirit, you make it harder on us. Because people say, oh, I know Bob. (laughs) He calls himself a Christian. He's got the foul mouth of anybody that works at our job. Oh, I know Sarah. Yeah, she, she says she's a Christian. She goes to that church, uh, but she's a gossip. She's lazy. She's halfway worked. And everybody's having to pick up after her. Oh, yeah, I know. I used to work with a guy who said he was a Christian, but he was out at the bars with all of us and was cheating on his wife at the time, but poor wife didn't know it. You're making it hard on the rest of us who really try to lift up Christ because people say, oh, I know Christians. Yeah, I know you guys. Yeah, a bunch of fakes and phonies. Oh, don't do that. But not only are you making it hard for us, you're detracting from God's glory. When God has saved you to be his picture of grace. Hey, here's what my, Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10, this is what my workmanship looks like. This is what my grace looks like. And this is what a Christian looks like. And it's you and I walking in the flesh. We detract from God's glory, which itself is a sin as well. You see, true salvation brings about a changed life. You cannot be truly biblically saved and continue to live in your sin and never change. That's the opposite of salvation. We are saved, and when we become saved, we are a new creature, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new but if I'm just somebody who was living in sin, went to church one night, had a religious experience, and then go back to my sin and continue for the rest of my life to live in sin, I haven't truly met the Savior yet. You say, well, Pastor, you can't judge people's salvation based on how they live their life. I'm not doing that. The Bible does it for us. You think that's heavy? <laughs> we, <We've, laughs> Our church was fairly young, and we, um, we're still pretty young. We turn six next week. Uh, but we were probably first or second year, and I thought to myself, a good, encouraging passage of Scripture to preach to would be First John. God is love, and uh, if any man loveth God, it's because God loved him first. And I thought, man, that would be an encouragement, encouraging uh, passage for our church family, new church. <laughs> what I didn't realize is you go through First John, it's a heavy passage. If any man walks in darkness and calls himself the child of God, he's a liar. If you men say that he hath no sin, the truth is not in him. And it begins to say, if you say you're a Christian, but you continue to walk in darkness, it's probably because you're not saved and you're a liar. Ooh, that was hard. So again, it's important for us to understand. I wanna get this very, very clear. God never in, encouraged us or called us to be fruit inspectors. We become very carnal when we begin to look at other people's lives going, mm, I don't think that guy's saved. Yeah, I see some stuff over there. I'm, I'm worried about him. What do you think about that? When we begin to judge people whether or not they're saved based on their actions. That's not our job to do. But if somebody who calls himself a Christian brother has some pretty rotten fruit hanging around him, I'm gonna put my arm around him and go, hey, if you're really a brother, you need to get your act together. I talking with one of our men. We were out on outreach yesterday, and he said, um, I was talking to a guy at, at work, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, he, he was a Christian and went to such-and-so church. And he goes, and then two hours later, I hear him dropping F-bombs left and right. And I thought to myself, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, next morning, I went and put my arm around him. I go, hey, you said you're a Christian, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, man, you can't be talking like that. We, don't, we as Christians don't do stuff like that. And if you're not really a Christian, you need to stop telling people you're a Christian. I thought, man, get it. That's what Christians do with other Christians. If I see rotten fruit, I don't just sit back and talk about you. If you call yourself a Christian, I want to help you to live like a Christian because I'm a brother, I'm a sister. Uh, I'm going to help you with that. That's what we do. But true salvation will bring about a changed life. But I want you to get these thoughts, and then we're done. You're taking notes, this is a long sentence, and so I'll, I'll give you some time. Habitual continued practice of the works of the flesh presents evidence that a person is not saved. Habitual continued practice. Any person in this room that's walked with Jesus any length of time has hit periods in their life that they're probably not proud of, that I wasn't fruitful, that I didn't take my relationship with God seriously. Maybe I stopped going to church. Maybe I stopped being in the Word. Maybe I adopted a sinful lifestyle, but then you brought it back. That's not what Paul's talking about here, that you hit a rough patch and you brought it back. He's talking about this is your life. You didn't practice idolatry one time. You are an idolater. You didn't fall into sexual temptation one time. You are a fornicator. You didn't slip up one time in your marriage relationship. You are an adulterer. This is who you are. This is not something that happened one time. This is what you practice. This is where you live. You didn't lose your temper one time. You're a hot-headed, wrath-filled, hate-filled human being. That's who you are. And you, my friend, cannot be saved. Heavy stuff. They which do such things, and again, that word do means to practice continually, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But this is not the only scorecard that God's given us, and I, I like that because he goes on in verse number 22 and 23 to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. What does that look like? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So we can also say that habitual, continued absence of the fruit of the Spirit presents evidence that a person is also not saved. So this person has no love. They have no joy. They have no long-suffering. They have no meekness. They have no temperance or self-control. They're filled with hatred and wrath and anger and always stirring up strife and drama. They're bitter. They're hateful. They're sexually filthy, obscene. That is a good indication that this person is not saved. Again, not our place to judge whether or not a person is saved or not, but the fruit will bear it out. But we, here's the thing, (laughs) so many times we want to look at other people and go, I wonder if that guy's saved. We need to take this list and say, hey, I wonder if I'm saved. Now, mind you, salvation is very simple. Faith in Christ, repentance of sins, that's a done deal. But if I really did that and I really meant that when I got saved, it's going to bear out fruit where the works of the flesh are put to death and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow. It just happens that way but the continued practice of the works of the flesh and the absence of the fruit of the spirit is evidence that a person is not saved. Final thought tonight, the only hope for killing the works of the flesh is walking in the spirit. This sounds so basic. This sounds so simple. But it's so profound. You see back up to verse 16 in Galatians 5. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, really easy. You don't want the works of the flesh in your life? Great, walk in the Spirit. And we took a look at how to walk in the Spirit. Man, I crucify my flesh, I put it to death. I fill my life with life-giving, spirit-filled resources. Good worship music, solid time in prayer, solid time in the Word hanging around other solid Christians who encourage my faith, talking about my faith, sharing my faith, praising God, telling other people about God's goodness in my life. When I slip and I fall, being accountable to someone, those are the things that help me to walk in the Spirit day by day by day. But it's important to understand the walking in the Spirit is a day-by-day day thing. I don't know about you, but I like checking off stuff on my to-do list. It feels good, doesn't it? Some of you are like, what's a to-do list? You need one. Um Sometimes, I'm, I know I'm probably the only person in the room that's ever done this. When I accomplish something that wasn't on my to-do list, sometimes I'll write it on my to-do list so I can check it off. Anybody else ever do that before? Yes, it feels so good. Like, I know that's not on my list, but I'm gonna write it on my list so I get to check it off, right? Here's the thing. If you put walk in the spirit on your to-do list, you'll never check it off because it's a perpetual, recurring, daily to-do. You can check it off for the day at the end of the day, But this is not one thing that we get to say, I did it, now I'm I'm good to go, no, no, no. You will do it every single day for the rest of your life. And that's what makes it so difficult because tomorrow you're gonna wake up and forget to walk in the spirit. And the flesh is gonna come out and you're gonna get angry and hot-headed and you're gonna lose your cool. And every single time we begin to walk in the flesh, we say things like, well, I had a right to lose my cool, can you believe what happened, you know? I had a right to honk my horn and, and give the, the one-finger shaka to the guy in front of me. Did you see what he did to me? I, I had a right to be angry in traffic. How can you take the H1 down to two lanes at four o'clock in the afternoon? How does that happen? I had a right to be angry. No, you didn't. Get over yourself. Well, this is just who I am. This is who I've always been. I've always struggled in this area, and that's just, that's just who I am. No, that's who you were. Before you knew Jesus, congratulations, you're a new creature now. You don't have to be held down by that anymore. But sometimes we're able to own walking in the flesh. That's when you begin to see God's power. Hey, I shouldn't have said that. My flesh got the best of me, and, and, and I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I don't know why when you said that I got so angry. Man, pray for me that I can put my flesh to death because I shouldn't have done that. That's when we begin to see progress. So many times, though, when we get in the flesh, we're just like, "Oh, I'm a loser. I'll always be a loser. I'll walk in the flesh all the time. I guess that's just who I am." And we give up. No, when you fail, this is your opportunity to pray, ask for help, ask for forgiveness, repent, and move forward. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a bottom line. I can't wait to get into the fruit of the spirit. We're not going to be able to do that in one night. We're going to stretch it out probably over three weeks or so because there's so much good stuff there, and the fruit of the Spirit applies to every single area of your life. If you want to read ahead, I highly recommend that you take verses 22 and 23 and commit them to memory, and then begin to live them out. What would it mean if your if your workplace had a spirit-filled Christian that showed up tomorrow with love, and joy, and peace on their side? What would happen to our homes if we had long suffering in our homes? What would happen in our own personal lives if we really had faith and temperance in our lives? Man, phenomenal things would happen. But all that requires death to the flesh first. So, this week your challenge, walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast.